I got my feet wet as a leading man in an Andrew Lloyd Webber show with Andrew Lloyd Webber in the audience, giving me notes. I can't go to work even though I have a job, even though I have desire to go, I can't. There aren't enough waitress jobs or grocery clerks or what other essential services there are going to be to fill up all the millions of people who are still without work. It's a numbers game. The only thing I know is that in the next two hours, I'm going to eat dinner. And that's as far as the future, that's as far out as I can see. You know what I mean? I really just have no idea because I am not in control. My wife is obsessed with medieval British history and Broadway. So this year for her birthday, I went all out. Three tickets for us and her best friend to Six the Musical, the hot new show of 2020, featuring the six wives of Henry VIII and a pop music-laced review of history from their unique perspective. It was amazing. But a few weeks later, the show shut its doors, along with the rest of Broadway. While preparing for this podcast, I spoke with lots of artists. All of them shared stories of working hard to maintain their creativity while stuck at home. This summer, Hamilton has enjoyed a resurgence in popularity, thanks to Disney+. So for this episode, given how much the popularity of Hamilton reminds us all how valuable the arts are, I wanted to feature the story of a Broadway actor. Meet Bronson. He lives in New York City, but for the last two years... He's been on tour, performing in the leading role of a new musical by a leading composer. When not on tour, Bronson performs on Broadway and travels to give private concerts around the country. And when COVID first hit, Bronson found himself in a green room, preparing to perform at a concert in Canada. This is COVID Stories. I was in Canada doing a concert, well, I was supposed to do a concert, uh, an all-Broadway kind of review with an orchestra. And I flew to Canada right as this thing was becoming very bad in New York. And I got to Canada. I was with two ladies, and we settled into our hotel. We went, the next morning, we went to our piano rehearsal, which didn't have the orchestra. It was just the piano and the conductor and us to get tempo and things like that. And we finished the piano rehearsal successfully. We went back to our dressing rooms. And as the orchestra was tuning, they canceled our concert right out from under us, which I definitely agree with. But that was the first moment where I was like, oh, this is really going to affect not only me, but everyone on this planet and especially artists. I am first and foremost a singing actor, and I live in New York, and all of Broadway is shut down for the foreseeable future as we battle COVID-19. That includes my Broadway show, The Phantom of the Opera. We have been closed for nearly three three months, going on three months now. Um, and that left our entire company, cast, crew, directors, management, jobless for the foreseeable future. I work a W, what is it, a W-2? You know, I work just like everyone else um, on the regular. I'm not so good with tax 
stuff. But um, I get a paycheck. I pay taxes 100%. You know, I, I do the thing. Um, a lot of artists work on 1099, which are not normally eligible for unemployment because the employers don't pay into the system. But Broadway shows and regional shows, they pay on W-2, so we are eligible. And considering that the last two years of my life were on a solid tour of a show, I was able to utilize the benefits of unemployment. I mean, it's stability, right? I can't, I can't go to work even though I have a job, even though I have desire to go, I can't. As we go through in New York, as we go through phases of reopening, if I'm a barber, yes, today I'm employed again and I can leave unemployment. But I'm a Broadway actor and my job is literally not available to me because the government is still shutting it down. I could go get a job at a grocery store, but that is not what I do and that is not what I've lived my whole life doing or trained for. I guess it is a fair statement that in a theory, you could, and I'm not one who is opposed to that idea. If I could get a full-time internet teaching job right now that I could do from home, I would absolutely do that and forgo unemployment. Of course I would, because I'm also trained as an educator. And while there's one school of thought of you know living off the money of the government, it's also a benefit that I've earned by working steadily my whole life. And I don't find any shame in it. I think it's absolutely helping me pay my exorbitant rent. It's filling my refrigerator with food, you know, and I'm grateful for it. So if we're still helping the community by keeping theaters and concert halls closed to prevent the spread of coronavirus, help us out who are making that sacrifice by continuing us with stability from the federal government. Like many performers, Bronson has traveled a long road to success, from local and regional stages to national tours. He has performed in concert with Christian Chenoweth and Andrew Lippa, and graced the stages of opera houses and theaters across the United States. When we spoke, he told me about his journey and how stumbling into the really useful group set him on the path to his current success. I don't know that anyone comes into this business wanting any sort of fame or recognition or anything like that. But the the thing that's a little different about what I've done is I stumbled into the really useful group family and the really useful group is Andrew Lloyd Webber's uh, production company, right? They produce, they're producing partners on all of his major shows in New York and around the world. And when I graduated grad school, I went to NYU for two years to finish up a vocal performance master's. I auditioned rather, well, I would say begrudgingly in that I didn't think I would get it because I'm not a dancer, but I auditioned for the national tour of Cats, one of his most famous musicals. And lo and behold, I booked a role in the national tour of Cats, and I went on the road for 11 months playing Gus Tiger and Buster for Joe, which opened me up to not only the wonders of his music, which I already knew from Phantom of the Opera, but the wonderful, wonderful people that he works with regularly. 
um, including, I call her my angel of music. Her name is Kristen Blodgett, and she has been my music supervisor on uh, at least five major productions of Andrew Lloyd Webber musicals in New York and on tour and world premieres, et cetera. So I was happy in Cats, and then I went on and did other work, and then eventually I landed my Broadway debut in the ensemble of Phantom of the Opera, and I graduated to understudying Raoul, and then I left Phantom of the Opera on Broadway to understudy the Phantom in Andrew Lloyd Webber's sequel to Phantom of the Opera. There's a sequel. The story continues. Yes, you heard me right. It's called Love Never Dies, and it toured the country for 18 months. I was hired to be in the ensemble and to understudy the Phantom. And when I tell this story, I never know how to say the next phrase, because I always want to say, by a series of fortunate incidences, but it wasn't fortunate for everyone involved, I ended up opening the show as the Phantom in the leading role. So it was kind of that whole ensemble guy thrust into the spotlight with far too too little rehearsal. And I got my feet wet as a leading man in an Andrew Lloyd Webber show with Andrew Lloyd Webber in the audience giving me notes. And I gained a sort of notoriety with the Phantom community by playing that role for 18 months. And, you know, it continues today. So I think the thing that makes my career a little more unique or different, should I say, is that it's really, really, really focused on the works of Andrew Lloyd Webber. Now, I've done other things. I've done Jekyll and Hyde and Damn Yankees and West Side Story and The Music Man and all kinds of things. But the big shows that I've done that really, you know, mean something in the arc of the history of theater have all been Andrew Lloyd Webber shows. If I've learned anything from making this podcast, it's that being creative is hard work. And you can't even see me standing here in my basement, talking into a cardboard box. I can't imagine the amount of discipline it must take to keep your mind, voice, and body ready to step back onto a Broadway stage. When I spoke with Bronson, I asked him about how he was staying fresh as an artist and a professional. He told me about how he's using this time to be creative in new ways, and how he feels mentally and physically about the idea of stepping back on stage. So I took the first month to kind of be like, oh, I've never had this much time off. I've never given my voice and my body this much of a break. I'm just going to really enjoy this because at that point, I was rather naive. I thought "Mm, four to six weeks of this max and we'll be back on Broadway. We'll be back doing our concerts. And so I didn't mind giving that time up. As the weeks went on, I started to realize I'm not even being myself anymore. Yes, I'm unemployed, but no, I don't have to stop being an artist. So for the last couple of months, I have been doing these at-home recording projects. I grew up loving choral music. I grew up as a music educator. I went to college for music education. I love choral music. So I found some of my favorite TTBB choral pieces, which TTBB is basically a men's choir. All four voice parts are written for men. I found some of those favorite pieces and I started recording each vocal part and then layering them on top of each other to kind of choralize my own sound. So I started doing that and I found it passed so much time. It was so artistically fulfilling. Um, I got to sing, I got to conduct myself basically. 
And then I got to really learn an editing software and figure out how to add reverb and how to, you know, line up consonants and things like that. So it was a learning curve as well. But some of them have been really good, actually. I enjoy listening to them. And I don't often enjoy listening to myself sing. But it's a different aesthetic when it's a choral thing and it's not just one voice singing solo. It's harmony, you know. So I've been doing a lot of at-home recording. And just yesterday, I finished, I think, my 10th track. And I put them into what will be um, a sort of album called The Sounds of Isolation and be able to look back on them, if not for anything but to just say, well, at least I didn't waste the time. At least this is what I did. You know, not to just keep talking about this fake album I'm making, but it's actually called The Sounds of Isolation, Bronson Norris Murphy and Friends. And a few of the pieces which required accompaniment I reached out to my brilliant friends who are music directors and pianists and had them provide the piano accompaniment. So my great friend Anna Ebison is featured on a track. My good friend Michael Patrick Walker is featured on a track. And I just yesterday, oh man, yesterday I finished this track called All I Ask of You, Run Away With Me. And it's a combination of Andrew Lloyd Webber's All I Ask of You and Kerrigan and Loudermilk's Run Away With Me. And my my friend Daniel M. Lincoln arranged it and not only arranged it, but then fully orchestrated it and produced a fully orchestrated track for me to record with. It sounds like I'm singing with the, the Vienna Philharmonic. It's amazing. We just finished that one yesterday. So I guess on the other side of this, I can say I've, I've made an album, no matter how poorly produced it is with me learning as I'm going. (laughs) You know, I might send my album to my mother in a month or two, but I don't foresee it having any drop date. The thing that's fallen out of shape, of course, I feel like is my body. And while I can still go on stage with the body I have, that will be the first thing that needs to get back in gear when everything is back in order because I suffered a knee injury in a production of West Side Story. And until that moment, I had never even thought about my body being part of my instrument. But suddenly in our designer run of that production, I completely shredded a meniscus in my right knee doing a a fight in West Side Story. And I could still do the show, but I had to do it with a brace on. I had to do it with... um, you know, tapes and ointments and ice off stage, And I really realized that, well, now Tony has a bit of a limp. So, you know, I had to work that into, well, he's an ex-gang member. So maybe he got injured in a fight himself, you know. And I was not, though it wasn't my fault in the time, I wasn't physically prepared to play that role. And I had to. And I learned from that moment on to keep myself in top physical shape, to do the work efficiently and justly for the audience. I also found that extremely hard on Love Never Dies because I was wearing many layers of clothing, lots of makeup, and a bald cap, and I sweated profusely in that show. And I'm not a naturally thin person. I'm not a naturally, uh, my metabolism isn't you know, that great, but I lost a lot of weight doing Love Never Dies because of what I put my body through six times a week and had to counteract that, counterbalance that with actual workouts and calories to sustain the performance level that I wanted to give. So 
it's no joke when they say, you know, our body is our instrument, our body is our temple, and nothing comes from me in a performance that didn't originate in my body. So if I'm not physically prepared, I'm probably also not 100% mentally prepared or vocally prepared because I'm thinking about the physical aspect too much. I certainly don't have the cardiovascular stamina to play the Phantom right now like I did eight months ago. So that part of me, maybe the physical part of me isn't quite where it needs to be, but I think the mental and vocal shape. Um, and of course, you know, reviewing the show that I'm doing, I'll, it'll, we'll have to have rehearsals again. I'll have to go back to the book. But when you do something you love and you've done it your whole life, it's just get back on the bike and take off again. But to be quite honest, I have no idea when my industry will be allowed to resume and when it is allowed to resume, if I'll feel safe enough to resume, because we can't ask an audience to gather and, and watch us do our thing. And we have to be gathered on stage, too. So I have concerts scheduled all throughout the fall and into 2021. I have no idea if those are going to happen. The only thing I know is that in the next two hours, I'm going to eat dinner. And that's as far as the future that's as far out as I can see. You know what I mean? I really just have no idea because I am not in control. It's sometimes paralyzing because I'll have, you know, I have a great moment right now where I'm like, oh, I'm happy. Just going to walk to the living room, going to walk back to the bedroom and nothing, no big problems. But then when I have conversations with people who are like, oh, I don't, I don't see Broadway opening up until spring of 2021. Then I get hit in the gut because I don't know how long this kind of like mediocre ambivalence to this situation, I'll be able to sustain. Like I'm waiting for the day when suddenly I'm bouncing off the walls. And, and thankfully that hasn't happened yet. So not being in control of my future is unnerving, but I am in complete control of my assessment of my present and what I can do with the time I have right now. I hope people understand how invaluable the arts are because not one single person, not one who knows what coronavirus is can say that in the past three months they haven't listened to a podcast or watched a YouTube video or caught a movie or watched television or listened to the radio or downloaded an album. All those things are artists at work doing what artists are born to do. So we haven't stopped being those people We've had a lot of our medium taken away from us so that we can all join together, band together, and try to, you know, as much as we can, get rid of this virus. So we haven't stopped being artists, and those who scoff or roll their eyes at artists being unemployed, you know, I, I, I join that adage of, I welcome you to, to turn off YouTube, to turn off Spotify, to turn off every source of artistic entertainment and see what your day is like without Netflix or Hulu or whatever else. We're a valuable part of society. And I will say we are we are the community helping keep everyone sane right now. This podcast features the stories of real people. To learn more about Bronson, his journey, and how you can support his work, 
visit our website, covidstoriespodcast.com. You'll find show notes for each episode with ways to directly support the people featured here and the passions that fuel their stories. COVID Stories is a self-supported podcast. It's produced and edited by me, Nathan J. Vaughn. To learn more about how you can support this project or to submit your own story to be featured in a future episode, visit our website. The address, again, is covidstoriespodcast.com. Thanks for listening. This is COVID Stories.